Hello, everybody. This is uh, Mike Halleck, also known as Mantar. You might know me as Tank from the Truth Commission. You might know me as Simply Outstanding Bruiser Mastino. And you might just know me as uh, Gold Dust Bodyguard. But I'm here. I hope you're watching and listening to Perched on the Top Rope. The following announcement has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Welcome, everyone, to Perched on the Top Rope. I am your host, former Dirt Sheet writer from Ringside News, Sports Kita, the richest, and the sportster, I am Lee Walker. And as you heard from that awesome show opener, ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is Mike Halleck. Mike, how you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great, man. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. I, you know, huge fan of yours uh, growing up, especially back in the uh, tape trading days. But I understand you have your own podcast now with former WCW PN News. Uh, yes. SOB Sports. So why don't you tell fans a little bit about it and where they can where they can find the show? Well, you know, SOB Sports comes from, you know, Paul and I have been throwing this uh, podcast uh, notion around for about nine months now. And so we've just been kind of doing our homework and doing some research and you know, we're both from uh, South Omaha, Nebraska, and um, in South Omaha, you we call ourselves the SOBs, South Omaha Boys. And, you know, you might call us son of a bitch. You might call us South Omaha Boys. You can call us whatever the hell you want, brother. Just don't call us late for dinner. Um, but we, uh, we just dropped our uh, eighth episode, getting ready for episode number nine. And uh, we're excited. The numbers are growing every week. And, you know, it's just another way that we can entertain our fans um, outside of the ring and um, not have to take any bumps. So um, I enjoy sharing our lifetime stories and our wrestling stories and, you know, just stories, period. You know, and um, if we can um, inspire one person or two people um, and, you know, just promote having a great day and living your best life, because, as we all know, you know, our time is numbered here. And when God punches that ticket, man, we're history. And um, so you only die once, but you live every day. And so go out there and live your life and um, do what you want to do. Eat that piece of cake, drink that chocolate shake, um, have that uh, soda, have that second hamburger if you want to, man. Just live your life and um, and be fun. But yeah, SOB Sports was named... Um, from the South Omaha boys. And we talk a little bit about sports. We talk about um, wrestling. We talk about our personal lives. You know, the good thing about it is now that we have our own, um, our own platform, we could talk about whatever the hell we want to. And we don't have to worry about some fucking bitch uh, blackballing us because, you know, they got a hair up their ass and don't like what Mantar said today or yesterday or whatever. So, Nobody can kick us off our platform. This is our show. We can say and do whatever the hell we want to. Awesome. And, and where can fans find the show? So the fans can find the show on uh, YouTube. Um, you can go on the Monty and the Pharaoh platform. You can find us on there. Um, we're on Intuitive. Uh, we're on Podbean. Uh, we're on Spotify. So you just have to look up... Uh, SOB Sports Network, and you'll be able to uh, track us down one way or another. Awesome. Now, Mike, one thing you can see behind me is I like action figures. I, I like would say. I, I'm a toy collector. 
as Mantar, while in WWF, they were going through the transition of the WWF Hasbro's and went to the Bendy's. So we, we never got a Mantar figure. But from my understanding, through Kayfabe Wrestling Collector, Mantar is going to have his first official action figure. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Uh, Sean NG uh, wrote me here a few months ago, asked me if I'd be anxious to get on board. And I said, absolutely, positively, 100% for sure. And I was like, as long as you're going to use the Mantar head, he said, yeah, we're going to make that as an attachment. I was like, perfect, brother. I said, let's do it. So um, I signed the deal. Um, I just sent him a video the other day saying I'm a part of the KWK uh collector series and i'm excited man it's gonna be um it's gonna be a great drop at the middle of the summer and um i'm really excited to uh see my new action figure coming online yeah i'm i'm very excited and, and there's there's a bunch of other great wrestlers part of part of that line uh this is your first first action figure so you know how does it feel to to you know know that you're getting that that first figure well I'd like to say it's a sign of, um, oops, I finally made it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I made it a long time ago when I did three characters with the WWF. Um, you know, they just um, couldn't find the right fit for me. They obviously liked me in my work because they kept bringing me back. Um, but they just never could find the uh, the right character. And if Vince would have listened to me off the out of Jump Street, we would have been clear sailing by now and, you know, we'd have been talking about simply outstanding Bruiser Mastino, but Vince went with the stupid fucking bullhead. And so that's what we, you know, that's what we were stuck with making chicken salad out of chicken shit. Right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to jump ahead here um, because you, you brought that up. Now, my understanding is your first two house shows against Nikolai Volkov, you actually wrestled as uh bruiser mastino is that correct yes now how did it come up to go from bruno to mantar that's a good fucking question bro i can't tell you what goes on in vince's head and sometimes i wonder what's going on in vince's head if anything um you know i remember when i flew up there for the first time and they took a bunch of pictures they said we're gonna have our creative take a bunch of pictures of you and then we're going to put our heads together and come up with something. I was like, okay. I was like, you know, don't forget this character that I'm doing in, in Europe. It seems pretty hot and, and uh, we can do a lot with it, go a lot of directions. And uh, I said, okay, we'll keep that in mind. And I come back like a week or 10 days later in New York and they show me all these pictures of this stupid fucking Greek mythological character, Mantar. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And, they're like, well, we're basing it off the Greek mythological character, the Minotaur, and we think it'd be great. You know, it's it's uh, you'll fit in with all the other, you know, crazy little gimmicks that we got. And I was like, well, I don't want to fit in with all them crazy other little gimmicks you got. I want to kind of stand out on my own, you know, and um, just never worked out that way, you know. So you got to do what you got to do, and you got to make the best of what you had. And um, I think I did pretty well, you know. I mean. 28, almost 30 years later, you know, people are still talking about Mantar and I guess uh, I must have did something right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do want to touch base on on Bruiser, though, uh, especially being like as a tape trader, 
that was the only way to you know really see matches from europe japan mexico things of that nature and you know during your time in germany and everything you got to wrestle some amazing talent from chris benoit owen hart Stephen Regal, Dave Taylor, Lance Storm, Fit Finley. So I got to ask, how do you go from Nebraska to Germany? Well, you know, um, when I started training in uh, 1990, um, an old school wrestler from the AWA, Mad Dog Vashon, was a neighbor of mine. And I knew Maurice my whole life growing up. And um, I remember the first time he introduced himself to me I was probably about 10 years old I was in a bar with my dad on a Saturday afternoon my dad had the day off my dad was a mailman and so I was just in there eating lunch and shooting pool and my dad was in there drinking beer with his buddies and Mad Dog came in and um I like fucking shit my pants man I couldn't believe that Mad Dog Vashon was in the building because I was used to watching him on Sunday mornings in my underwear you know on channel 7 tv and um so I remember he came in the door and he had to sit right down next to my dad. And I was so afraid for my dad. I'll never forget it. I was like pulling on my dad's trousers, dad, 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 trying to get my dad's attention. My dad's like, you know, piss off. What do you want? I was like, do you know you're sitting by dad? And he was like, yeah, Maurice. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, that's mad dog Vashon. I said, you better get away. He says, you want to meet him? I said, No. I turned around, started hightailing out of there. My dad grabbed me by my britches, pulled me back, and he said, Maurice, I'd like to introduce you to my son, Michael. It was like, hello, Michael, and shook his hand, and I was just scared chill. He says, like, you like wrestling? I was like, yes, sir. I watch you every Sunday. He's like, you play any sports? I says, well, I'm too big to play most sports, I says, with my buddies. I says, but I'm playing ice hockey right now. He says, well, you want to come down to the matches? Uh in a couple of weeks, I was like, man, that'd be great. He says, I'll introduce you to all the wrestlers. I said, sure. He said, great. He said, I'll work it out with your dad. He says, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. So he gave my dad a couple of tickets and we went down. And after the first match, we had seats right above where the wrestlers come out. And um, after the first match, my dad was instructed to take me down to the curtain, ask for Maurice. And Maurice took me back in the locker room. And the very first wrestler he introduced me to was Andre the Giant. And... Um, I was just like in total shock and awe. I was like, oh my God, Andre, you know, and I'm standing there looking up at him and he's sitting on a chair and, you know, he went to shake his hand and his fucking hand. And, you know, for like a 10 year old, I had really big hands. And at least I thought until I shook Andre the Giant's hand and until I lost my hand in his, right? And, um, but his hand had to be like 10 times the size of my hand. And, uh, it was all good fun. I met him and Ray the Crippler, Nick Bockwinkel, the Bruiser, the Crusher, uh, Greg Gagne, you know, and um, I remember a funny spot, you know, Maurice, he was, had to wrestle Bockwinkel and he was like, just wait right here, kid. It was right behind the doors. And um, he's like, if anybody asks you who you are, or what you're doing, just tell them you're with the Mad Dog. I'm like, okay. So I'm standing there minding my own business and watching Maurice and Nick in the fucking locker room and all of a sudden, Greg Gagne comes up to me and he's like, hey, kid. He's like, uh, what the hell are you doing here? He says, uh, what, what's going on? I says, well, I'm watching this match here. He says, are you supposed to be here? I said, yeah. He says, well, who told you to be here? I says, uh, Mad Dog Vashon. He says, he told me if anybody came messing with me or asking any questions, tell him I'm with the Mad Dog. He says, oh, you're with the Mad Dog? 
I'm sorry, kid. Sorry to bother you. You know, he just took off the other way because, you know, nobody really wanted to fuck with Maurice, you know, because Maurice was pretty fucking crazy. And, um, you know, he was a shooter and uh, which I thought was really kind of funny. And, um, you know, after that, after that night, like, I don't know, 30, 40 years later, man, I, when Maurice passed away, I'm at his funeral and, and uh, Greg Gagne came down from Minnesota and a couple other guys came down from Minnesota to uh, show their respects to Maurice. And I remember going up to Greg and telling him that story. And he's like, you know what, Mike? He says, I fucking remember that time, man. He says, I remember that exactly how it went down. He says, you got a great memory for a 10-year-old. I says, yeah, well, I'm not 10 anymore, but uh, that was some fun shit. He was like, yeah, man, good times, man, good times. And so we talked about some Maurice stories and him open up the airplane door at 35,000 feet with a plane full of wrestlers on it was pretty funny. Um, that was a story <laughs> that I haven't heard about Maurice before. And um, so he took me in the locker room and uh, met all the guys. And, um, yeah, the rest was history, man. He just became a good friend of mine. And I would see him every Saturday and Sunday morning when I was out delivering papers. He'd be out running the streets. And then he got in that accident where that car hit him and put him in the ditch and uh, left him for dead in the ditch. And he ended up losing his leg. Um, That was really a life changer, eye-opening experience for him. but he was just never the same after that. Right. And, uh, I mean, who would be, I mean, that's kind of a traumatic experience, you know? And, um, but yeah, Maurice got me, got me started in the job. And, um, I remember when I got started, he originally sent me up to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota to get trained by uh, Eddie Sharkey. And I knew more than Eddie Sharkey was teaching me. And, you know, I'm not bragging or anything, but, you know, cause Eddie trained, you know, a lot of big guys trained the World Warriors and, you know, trained all these top top wrestlers in history. And um, I just called Maurice and Maurice, I know more about wrestling than what this guy is teaching me up here. He's like, all right, kid. He's like, come on home. He says, I have a new place for you to go. And so I came home and he ended up sending me down to uh, Tampa, Florida to wrestle for uh, Larry Malenko. And Dean and Jody Malenko were down there training me. And plus, you know, Carl Gotch was down there. The one, two, three kid was down there. Ken Shamrock was down there. Had all these big names down there, man. And I was just like, man, this is the fucking place to be. So after spending 10 and a half, 11 months out of training camp down there, I came back to Nebraska. And right when I came back, uh, PN News was really hot on television then. And um, so I had all my relatives call my mom and dad, hey, is that Mike on TV? Is that Mike on TV? Because Paul and I could have been twins at that time in our lives. We look so much alike. And um, it's like, no, he just got home from training camp. That's not him. And I happened to be in a bar a couple weeks later with a good buddy of mine. And this kid kept uh, in the bar having a beer. And this kid kept staring at me. And I was like, what the fuck's this kid staring at? You know, my buddy says, oh, you must want his ass kicked today. Barking up the wrong tree. And I was like, well, you know, let's give him a few minutes. And so he finally came over and he was like, hey, man, he says, I just want you guys to know I'm sorry for staring, man, but I'm trying to figure out why my brother's in this bar and he's not coming over and saying hello to me. And, you know, I've been hearing all this PN News stuff, PN News stuff from all my aunts and uncles for about a month now. And um, so I just said, yeah, I says, I suppose you can tell me your brother is PN News, the rap master. He was like, as a matter of fact, yes, I am. 
I was like, man, now I'm going to knock your ass out twice. Once for lying and once for fucking staring, bro. He's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. And he grabs his license out of his wallet. He says, my name's Johnny New. My brother's Paul New. That's why they call him PN News. Our parents are millionaires. They own new cheese up in Hardington, Nebraska. He's like, let's call him. So we tried to call Paul. He never answered. Well, Johnny ended up giving me my number. He called me like a week later. And we set it up. They were doing TV up in uh, Des Moines and Sioux City. He was like, hey, man, if you want, you can pick me up at the airport. He says, you can hang out with me all weekend. I'll introduce you to a bunch of wrestlers because I I just been out of training camp, right? And so he picked me up, man. We we told stories like we'd been best friends forever. And um, he was like, hey, I can get you over over to Big Auto. He went over to Germany. He says, I just came from over there. And uh, he says, a great place to learn the job. And he says, whatever you do, he says, tell him you've been working for two years. I was like, okay. So I sent my pictures to Big Auto. And Big Auto brought me in on Paul's recommendation. And he brought me in. My first match was a championship match in front of like 9,000 people in Dortmund, Germany. I wrestled uh, Luke Poirier. And he actually was the heavyweight champion in the CWA at the time. And Luke ended up replacing me in the Truth Commission in New York, as a matter of fact. So I couldn't have had a better guy uh, take my place in the Truth Commission once I got that up and off the ground. Um, but, yeah, so I went over there, wrestled Luke, had no experience, my first match. And we made it through it. And after the match, I had to go to the office to get my money. And Otto Vance was like, how long you been working? It was like two years, boss. He was like, how long you been working? It was like two years, he says. Mike, tell me the truth. How long you been working? I was like, well, if you want to know the truth, boss, I says, Paul told me to tell everybody two years. He says, we're past that now. And I was like, I was like, well, that was my first fucking match. He was like, slammed his head on the table. He said, God damn it. Why didn't you tell me we could have worked it out? I says, hey, man, it's, it's all over now. He says, yeah, he says, we got through it. He says, you want to stay here and learn how to wrestle? I was like, sure. He says, well, we start the next town in three days. He says, um, I pay, I pay the Americans $335 a day and I pay them every other day. He says, you'll get 670 bucks every two days. He says, does that sound like something you want to do? I said, hell yeah, man. So I, I wrestled the last 38 days of the tour. <coughs> I don't know, loves big guys. So he just kept bringing me back every year and, I did like, I don't know, five consecutive tours over there before I got the call before Ted DiBiase came over and brought me over and got me a shot with New York. But that's how I got started in, in the CWA, man. And when I got started there, Chris Benoit was there. Owen Hart was there. Joe Cruz was there. Larry Cameron was there. You know, Tony St. Clair, Dave Taylor. Uh, Steve Regal wasn't there at that point, but he had eventually showed up and Fit Finley was there, and so today Fit Finley kind of took me underneath his wing, and so we would wrestle tags two or three days a week with against Owen and Benoit. And when I wasn't wrestling them in tags, I was wrestling them in singles matches. And so I was wrestling, you know, Owen and and Benoit for like four or five days a week, man. And you know, how can you help but not learn from two of the best guys ever in history, right? I mean, um, it was just it was just a great learning experience. And anybody who was somebody 
went through that territory in Europe, you know, um, JBL, Razor, you know, a lot of guys went through that territory and um, it was just a really great place, man. The fans were great. The sponsors were great. It was just a great place to learn and get your feet under you as a professional wrestler. And it was probably the best experience I've ever had in, in, in my life was living over in Europe, uh, out of a camper and wrestling in town every day and just living the life of Riley, man, do whatever you want, barbecuing at two, three o'clock in the morning, having a few beers and chopping up with the guys. And it was just fucking fun, man. It was just a lot of fun. It sounds like an amazing time. And, you know, while you were over there, I have to ask this because I'm a big Owen Hart fan. So we always hear about Owen Hart and the rib stories while in WWF. While over in uh, CWA, were there any rib stories? Um, no, I mean, Owen Hart would pull off a little ribs here and there, but it wasn't like anything. He was in New York. And I remember when I first showed up in New York, Owen was like, Bruiser, what's going on, buddy? Came up, give me a fucking big hug. And the boys are looking at him like, you know this guy? And he's like, fuck, that's Bruiser Mastino, man. That's my buddy. And, and so I remember one time about two months into my character, man, I'm I'm getting ready. And, I, and I'm just now making the transition from no bullhead to a bullhead, from bullhead to no bullhead. And so I was painting my face. And the makeup girls were helping me at the time. And so I went to makeup to get my face painted. And I just had my trunks on. So everything else was in this brand new Halliburton that I just bought. And I got my face painted, man. And I got to be on TV in like half an hour. And so I got to kind of hustle to get ready. And I get back and my fucking brand new bag is padlocked to the fucking bench. And, man, I start freaking out, man, and looking. I can't get in my bag, and I'm looking for the maintenance guy. I can't find him, can't find him. I'm looking all over the maintenance guy. And I guess Owen caught up with the maintenance guy. He says, hey, man, if some big guy with uh, horns on his head comes looking for you, man, tell him you don't know nothing, you can't find nothing. And um, he says, we're playing a rib on him. So... By the time I finally found the maintenance guy, I had less than 10 minutes before I had to be on. And I was shitting myself. And I said, bro, I was like, if you got a pair of bolt cutters, man, I said, I'll give you 50 bucks, man. I said, I need to get in my fucking bag, man. I'm going to be on TV. And I said, I'm going to get fined if I don't get my shit together. He's like, all right, man, I guess I can help you. And he felt really bad, man, because he knew they were playing a joke on me. But he didn't want to expose the joke. So he comes in, man, opens up my bag and I start throwing my shit on, and I mean, I got, I had like maybe 15 seconds left, man, before I had to be there, and I'm running all the way to the fucking gorilla position, man. I get there, and I'm fucking blown out of my ass, and I'm breathing. Everybody's going, Mike, what's wrong? Are you okay? And I was like, fuck, man, I've been in a panic, man. Owen fucking padlocked my fucking suitcase to the bench, and I said I couldn't get in it. And I said I just barely got it open and got my shit on. <laughs> it was like... Oh, that explains why you're out of breath. Well, welcome to welcome to TV, Mr. Mantar. And, you know, it kind of was fucking with me a little bit. But, you know, it was funny, man. Owen exposed himself. He told me that he fucking, that he did it, man. And, and you know, Owen was always one of them guys that he'd walk by with the squirt gun on his hand, on his arm with the 
towel over it, man, and walk by and blast you with the fucking squirt gun and you get fucking caught in the eye like, what the fuck was that, man? You know, where'd that shit come from? And it was just Owen Hart being Owen, you know, but Owen never played any bad ribs on anybody. They were all harmless ribs, all all fun, um, and uh, no tears, man. And Owen was just that guy. It was just his personality, man. Owen, Owen was the life of the party all the time, and, um, you know, he lived his gimmick, you know, he... He um, had a great life, and um, we lost one of the best um, all for early in life, and kind of a shame, but that's the way the ball bounces sometimes, and that's why at SOB Sports, our motto is you only die once, but you live every day, and you never know when your ticket's going to be punched, and um, so you better fucking do what you want to now, well, you have a chance to. Otherwise, you might be shit out of luck. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm I'm a huge fan of Owen. What do you think of the Owen Hart Cup that All Elite Wrestling is doing? Um, I think I think that's appropriate. You know, um, I think it's something WWE should be doing um, personally. But you know, it is what it is. Vince is fucking the character he is, and he does what he wants to do for whatever reasons he wants, and. Um, I'm just glad somebody's honoring Owen because Owen was a Owen was a great guy. And, you know, I remember Brett said to me, he says, you know, he says, my brother really likes you a lot, Mantar. And he says, if my brother likes you, I like you. He says, because my brother's a great judge of character. And, um, you know, Brett always gave me a fair shake, always took a shine to me. You know, Brett and I went out and had a fucking great match when he said that nobody else in the locker room wanted to work with me because they all said I was stiff. But Brett said, man, he says, I didn't find you were stiff at all. He says, I I felt that, you know, you worked very snug and you were safe. And he said, you can't fault somebody for wanting to lay that shit in, you know, because I would tell everybody that I went in the ring with. I was like, you know, whatever you do to me, make sure you lay that shit in. Because if you throw a phantom punch and you miss me by 10 feet, I'm not fucking selling it. I'm just going to look at you fucking like you're a fucking idiot. And so... You know, I wanted everybody to lay that shit in, and um, sometimes they took a liberty and they paid for their mistake. But you know, most everybody I got along with, and but you know, there was a bunch of fucking prima donnas in New York when I worked there, and you know, if you just touched one of their fucking hairs on their head too too hard, you know, they'd fucking whine and piss and moan about it. You know, um, I remember we did a lumberjack match one time, I think with. Uh, Lex Luger and Yokozuna and Lex Luger got thrown out. We were fucking beating him up and I went to throw him back in the ring and he didn't want to go back in the ring. And I just fucking pulled his fucking trunks up the crack of his ass and threw him in there. And I got back in the locker room and he starts yelling and screaming at me. I says, Hey motherfucker, you know that you're going back in the ring. I know you're going back in the ring. So just go back in the ring. I says, the reason why I did that is because you weren't fucking going back in the ring. And I said, so if you know what you're supposed to fucking do, do it so I don't have to pull your trunks up your ass next time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, well, you fucking prima donna motherfucker. You know what you're doing, so fucking just do it, you lazy bastard. Get your ass in the fucking ring. But, you know, I don't know. Good times, man. I, I enjoyed wrestling for Vance and, you know, did three or four characters for him. And I just wish that he would have got it right once, you know? Yeah, and I wanted to ask... 
you know, right from the get go as Mantar, I I remember the your debut match. Uh, the the ring announcer referred to you as the Manatar. You know, and then Vince goes, you know, and Vince tried to like quickly correct it on commentary with Jerry Lawler. Uh, when you were what? Do you remember like when you were walking down the ring? You know, in the head, hearing that the ring announcer. Um, no, you know, I just remember my very first debut match. I'm, I'm standing at the grill position, all ready to go, and Vince is fucking looking at me, and he's looking up at me like um, Andre the fucking giant, because this fucking bullhead was like maybe like four feet fucking taller, right? I mean, this bullhead was just massive, and he was like, "Is anybody?" tried to get uh, Mike in the ring with this fucking massive thing on his head. And I was like, well, Vince, you made this massive fucking thing. And um, they were like, no, Vince, we haven't. And he was like, fuck, we got to scratch this match. You know, we, you got to make sure you can get in the fucking ring for fuck's sake. And I'll never forget, I grabbed Vince by the fucking both arms and I'm looking at him through the mouth of this fucking bullhead. And I was like, Vince, I got this, bro. I said, I got this. We're going to be just fine. He's like, are you sure, Mike? I was like, yeah. He's like, what's your plan? I was like, I'm going to go up the outside corner. I want to go right back down on the inside corner. I said, I've never done it before, but I think I got it. He was like, okay, man, whatever you do, don't fucking fall. You're on national TV. And I remember going back and watching that match, and I remember seeing them showing me walking up into the ring, and they showed me taking two steps up the – going up the outside of the corner, and then they showed me taking the last step on the inside of the corner. So it must not have been as smooth as I remember, so they had to cut and splice it, the tape. But, you know, they made it look good for television, so that's all that matters. Hey, I couldn't tell. You know, speaking of that bullhead, I got to ask, you know, uh, WWE Hidden Treasures fans, this is a, a pre-recorded show. Uh WWE Hidden Treasure Season 2 starts tonight. Do you have any of your old ring gear? Do you know who has the Mantar head? Um, so the Mantar head is up in uh, Stanford, Connecticut, somewhere in the dungeon. Um, I've sold all my costumes and shit from from that character, so I don't have any anything left from that character. Um but yeah, man, Vince invested a lot of money in that bullhead to only wear it four or five times and just throw it and fucking and spin the fucking dungeon in in uh, Stanford for thirty fucking years, right? Collecting dust. Yeah, and I hate to see, hate to see what it looks like and smells like now. Oh, I can only imagine. Now, <laughs> as, as Bruiser Mastino, you're over in over in Europe. I have to I have to ask this. Uh, Glenn Jacobs in WCW at the time was using bastard. Yeah. So, so he stole that. He stole that name from me. Right. And um, I remember I wrestled Glenn um, years later when I was doing the tank from the South Air truth commission. Um, he was down in uh, Memphis doing the Isaac Yanko uh, bit. And uh, I was like, Hey man, what's the fucking deal with stealing my fucking gimmick name? He's like, gimmick name? What are you talking about? I said, Bruiser Mastino. He's like, oh, yeah, man. He says, thanks for letting me borrow that, bro. He's like, you know, he says, I, ever since I heard that name, I love that name. And 
and I did this fucking little uh, character, and I decided to call me Bruiser Mastino. He says, hope I didn't hurt no feelings. I said, no, bro. I says, uh, it's an honor, man. I was like, anytime somebody steals your shit, you know that you've done something right. And um, so Otto Bonds came up with that name, and then I changed the way the character looked over the course of the years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did the, uh, I turned into the uh, the gangster type character. I wore a, a tearaway uh, suit and had a fedora, a felt fedora, and a violin case I used to load when I was in the ring and bash people over the fucking head with it. And um, so I was, you know, Mr. Hughes before Mr. Hughes was Mr. Hughes. And I have to say, I played a better Mr. Hughes than Mr. Hughes did. <laughs> oh, Curtis, I hope you're not listening. Or listen. <laughs> I hope you are, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's actually interesting because I just submitted his autobiography for him. I was his ghostwriter. I just submitted oh, nice. yesterday. Yeah. Um, so it's always interesting, especially, you know, because really like he got that from big Bubba Rogers, big boss man when he was in WCW type deal. So it was always interesting to, to see that now you get paired with Jim Cornette. Um, and I I've heard Jim tell the story. It was like 10 minutes before your match with Razor Ramon on Raw, and they just said, hey, go out there with him. And he introduces you uh, and everything. Is, is that how you got paired with Cornette? They just randomly threw you with him? Well, um, they did randomly throw him in with me, but I think it was much earlier than the Razor Ramon match, if I, if my mind serves me correctly. Because I remember when they did it, I said to myself, well, fuck me. They must be wanting to do something with my character. And that really made me feel good because, you know, when they start doing this Mantar character, I'm like, what the fuck are they doing, man? This character is fucking stupid. And it just makes no sense. But, you know, they're paying me, so I'm going to make the best out of it. And I remember, you know, when I got Corny as my manager, I was was really happy, man, because – Jim was a funny motherfucker, man. Jim was a blast to work with. And um, he's always laughing and smiling about something. And, um, you know, Corny's mind just goes a thousand miles an hour. You know, it just never shuts off. And, you know, if anybody, you know, knows Corny like I know Corny, you know, that's a good Corny. Because um, Jim is one funny motherfucker, man. He... I remember he would make it a point to always try to make me laugh um, out there and have a good time. And he was like, you know, when you don't, when you're not having a good time out here, that's time to fucking hang it up. He says, you just always need to have a great time when you're in the wrestling ring. And, and that was some sound advice, you know, from coming from Cornette and uh, you know, he managed a lot of big superstars. So I figured, well, it might behoove me to listen to the guy because he obviously knows what he's talking about, right? Yeah. Now, um, I was always interested in that, especially I call it the slap heard around the world because it's literally the loudest open hand slap I ever heard. In that match. Yeah, so so I'm just going to cut you off right there, man, and say Razor Ramon is a fucking piece of shit. 
And he's a fucking pussy too, man. You know, he, he tried to take a liberty. You know, I remember when he came to me and he was like, okay, we're going to do this, 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 this. I was like, whoa, wait a minute, cowboy. I was like, um, we're going to do some of my shit too. You know, I said, just because you just came out of fucking drug rehab for the 117th time doesn't mean that I'm here to be your little fucking whipping boy. And I says, I'm undefeated. I haven't been beat yet. I'm getting a nice little push and I want to keep it that way. And I remember when they came up with the finish, um, they says, well, you know, Razor is going to go over via count out. And I was like, fucking kudos, man. Cause you know, you're still a pinning me. And that's all that mattered to me, right? You're still not yeah. fucking pinning me. And so we went through the stuff of the match and Razor's like, oh, I want to do this, this. I said, dude, I will do whatever you want to, but you need to let me get my shit in. I said, because, you know, I'm trying to make a name for myself in the company, too. I says, you're already established. I says, but I'm an up-and-comer. I says, and I says, and I'm undefeated as of this point, so you're going to have to do some of my shit. And so I remember we got out there, man, and we called the original spot. He ducked a couple couple tie-ups, and third time he ducked it, man, and went for a clothesline, and I spun around, and hit me with the fucking toothpick. I went to fucking clothesline him again after the toothpick. He ducked the fucking clothesline, turned around, and he open hand slapped me, man. And, and um, you know, I've heard uh, his, uh, his fucking um, sidekick Diesel talk about this on a few podcasts. Diesel was like, I was in the back catering, watching the monitor, and he says Razor is wrestling fucking Mantar, and they did a couple opening spots, and Next thing I know, he says, Mantar hit, or Razor hit fucking Mantar so hard he knocked the chiclets out of his mouth. I'm like, fuck you, motherfucker. He hit me as hard as he could. And I just shook that fucking shit off and charged him and gave him the fucking forklift and picked him up and drove him in the corner. And I mean, I'm bashing him in the corner, man. I was hitting him hard. And fucking Vince gets on the microphone and, and the referee's ear and says, tell them two fuckers. To knock that shit off, man. They're on national TV and save it for the back. And so Vince, you know, seeing what was going on right away and and basically cut us off. Um, and when the match was over, when I got up from counting 10, I went right in the back and I was right behind the curtain, man, waiting for a fucking razor. And I called his ass out, you know, start pushing and shoving, man. A couple punches might have been fucking thrown and the uh, agents are pulling us apart and shit and this and that. And I was like, fuck you, you fucking piece of shit, pussy motherfucker. And um, I walked away. And But I knew when that happened, I knew that my days were numbered because Razor, Razor was a little bitch. And I knew that he was part of the fucking little bitch click. And if something the click didn't like you, they were going to get rid of you. You know, after that, I started doing jobs one after the other. And then when I did the job for Spark Puck, Bob Holly and Survivor Series, I Went in the back, took my paint off, threw my fucking shit in the bag, and got on the next plane back to Nebraska, and I knew I was done. I wasn't going to let him fucking destroy me on TV. Yeah, and uh, my next question when it when it came to that was, you know, after that match, you could definitely see where, like, the whole thing on Mantar slowed down. Uh a couple of your final matches, though, at house shows, you the, under a tag team known as Camp Cornette with Dr. Tom Pritchard, 
So I, I got to ask, like, was there anything that was going to happen with that? Like, did they make plans for that to be on TV? You know, I had no idea what they were doing. I was just, you know, being a good employee and doing what I was supposed to be doing, doing what I was told to do. Um, at that point, I really didn't give a fuck what what they wanted me to do. I knew what they were trying to do, and I wasn't going to let them do it. And, um, you know, I mean, I didn't mind doing a job for, you know, Duke the Dumpster. He was one of my good buddies. And Adam Baum, he was another one of my good buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it came to a spark plug, Bob Holly, I'll never forget, man. I was from the time the bell rang to the one, two, three, man, I was beating his fucking ass. I was throwing him around like a sack of shit from one corner to the next, just pummeling him, man, just doing anything I fucking could think of. I did it to Bob Holly that night. And I remember he missed, uh, I fucking missed a big splash in the corner and he went up to the top and hit that missile drop kick off the top rope and got the quick one, two, fucking three. And I remember when he got the one, two, three, people start chanting, bullshit, bullshit. And I just fucking laughed. I'm like, well, it's about time we got some fucking smart marks out here because there ain't no way in hell this motherfucking pussy is going to beat me in a fucking fight in a real fucking life. You know, I mean, I just ate his fucking lunch. And plus, I was three times the size of fucking Spark Plug Holly at that time. You know, he was he was a midget. And um, that was before he got big and started to fucking be a bully, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I chewed him up and spit him out that night, man. And I knew once he hit me with the one, two, three, I knew it was over. But I did the job as a professional, you know. Um, it is what it is. Uh, but, yeah, I mean... Who knows why they do the shit they do in the office sometimes, right? Yeah. And you, you had your last match with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow in the WWF in your first run. So do you remember what you said to him during the three count? Because on TV, during the count, you can see you're talking to him. Yeah. I mean, I think I just something said something on the lines of, thanks, brother. You know, because we had a great match. It really know, was. And- and, you know, you go out there and you watch these two 400-pound fucking behemoth men just doing everything that they can do to each other. Um, and, you know, we did it. I mean, there's one time where, you know, I got him in a fucking suplex position and I go to suplex bammer and you could tell that it took everything in me. You know, once I fucking jumped and planted my fucking feet and dug my toes in the fucking mat, and and did the fucking springboard to get him up and over the top. You can hear me, man, moaning at the top of my lungs, using everything I had to get him over. And, you know, Bammer was light on his feet, but, you know, he's still 400 pounds nonetheless. And, you know, when you got two 400-pounders out there, man, doing the shit that we were doing to each other, that was pretty impressive. And I just said, you know, thanks for the great match, Bammer. And he was like, he's like, my pleasure, buddy. He said, that was fun. And, um... You know, that was it. You know, I was I was more than happy to put to put Bammer over. I didn't I didn't care about doing that job because I knew that they were trying to build him up to wrestle LT right at WrestleMania. And and, you know, you're only as good as in the ring as your opponent. And so, you know, if you're out there and you look like a million bucks, well, that's because your opponent made you made you look like a million bucks. 
And I made fucking Bammer that day look like a fucking 400 pound fucking killer. And um, he was grateful. I was grateful. We both had a great match and I had no problem doing it whatsoever. That was one of the funnest matches I, I had in New York, actually, that first round. Well, you know, that was a phenomenal match. And I, I remember watching, I even watched it recently, body slamming each other, Bam Bam getting up and drop kicking you. Like you guys were, you know, you're, you're super heavyweights, but you were moving so fast. And, and like you said, laid on your feet, it was, it was, I thought that was a pay-per-view worthy match. It was, it was, it was, that was a, that was a classic for sure. And, um, you know, we, we pulled out all the strings we were doing shit um, to each other like we were middleweights out there instead of heavyweights, right? Yeah. And um, I mean, it was just it was just smooth. Um, it flowed. It felt natural, and it was a lot of fun. And and those are the those are the best matches, man. Are the ones that you can go out there and smile about and say, "Man, that was just fucking fun." You yeah. Because you don't you don't get to say that all the time because you know sometimes you're cussing a guy out because he fuck something up or or you know miss something or whatever but you know we were johnny on the spot at every every point that we needed to be so it was great well you know that was a great match and i just found it weird that having such you know that would you know a last match what happened to uh cause the end of the run in 95 um it all came down to that fight i had with razor in the locker room in the ring in the locker room and i i knew it um, you know, so, I mean, you know, you fuck with the click, man. The click was powerful. If they didn't like you, they weren't going to have you around. So, um, yeah. that's kind of, that's what happened there. Now, when you were in ECW, what did you think of the Mantar chance that you were getting? Um, I thought it was fucking funny. I mean, you know, I mean, what are they going to chant? You know, that's what they've seen and that's what they do. Yeah. Um, even though I was just in trunks, they still obviously knew who I was. And, um, you know, at that time, Paulie, he used to job out every WWF guy that he brought in. You know, he would job him out first couple of matches. And I remember he had 911 fucking chokeslam me, pin me right away. And I was like, so you want me to go out there and I'll up with the guy and he's going to pick me up and choke slime me and pin me one, two, three, and you're going to pay me for that? And Paulie said, yep. I said, okay, brother, pay me. <laughs> pay me. I yeah, remember he looked at me like, he looked at me like, are you serious, kid? And I was like, listen, I don't give a fuck what I'm doing out here. Just fucking pay me, man. Because it makes no difference what you're, what you do to me because it's already been fucking done one way or another. Vince already found a way to fucking, fucking put the screws to me, so at this point, I don't really don't give a fuck. Just pay me. Hey, that actually happened with uh, Mr. Hughes in ECW when he lost to Bubba Ray Dudley in 36 seconds. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I see a pattern there. Um, did Paulie have any plans while you were in ECW, or was it just a quick in and out type thing? No. No, you know, I mean, I... I was um, I I got to know Paulie through um, one of the pit bulls. Uh, I think it was pit bull number two, Anthony Anthony Durani. I wrestled with Anthony over in um, Europe for Out of Vance. And when I got off TV, he was like, "Mike, he said you should come down and stay with me in Philly, and you know, introduce you to Paulie, and maybe you get some work down here." So that's what I did, and 
after about six or eight shows, I was like, you know what? I don't even know if I'm going to ever get my full money down here. So I appreciate the fucking invite, but I'm not going to be here much longer. Because Paulie had a reputation of not paying the boys at that time, right? Yeah. Now, you worked a dark match in WCW against Damian 666. Was that like a tryout match or just a... Like, what was that about? So I was down there on the advice of uh, Dave Finley. And um, he was working for them at the time. And so I was down there in the power plant and I was doing all the, all the jabroni shit, like everybody in the power plant was doing, you know, I wasn't afraid to put in some blood, sweat and tears equity. And um, so I was doing all the sit-ups and push-ups and squats and shit and uh, never complained about it, even though I'd already been to the big show once, you know, um, I don't have an ego, never have, never will. Um, so I was just another one of the boys and, um, they told me they were going to give me a look on television. They gave me a look on television and then I never heard anything after that. So I don't know what happened. I don't know what they were thinking. I never heard a thing about it. Okay. Now you had two more runs in WWF being paired with Goldust the one time as like a, a bodyguard, what, what happened with, why, why did they stop that? Um, I have no idea. I mean, it was, it got thrown in because they were on a European tour and gold dust just blew his knee out in Europe. And when they came back to the States, gold dust was in a pay-per-view with um, the ultimate warrior for the intercontinental championship. Mm-hmm. And so they were the main, they were the main event at the in your house pay-per-view and they knew that, uh, Dustin couldn't do anything, so they had to incorporate someone in there with him that could do something. So I remember they called me up, asked me if I'd do it, and I was like, well, how much are you going to pay me? And I was like, well, well, I'm going to give you three grand. And I said, well, it's not enough. I said, it's either five grand or nothing. It's like, okay, well, we can, we'll pay you five grand. And, um, Remember, I got there that day, and I was like, "Well, this is what we want to do, but we got to run it by the warrior first because if he doesn't want to do it, it's just not going to be done." It's like he's got to want to do it, or else he won't do it. And I was like, "Okay." So, wait till the warrior got there. They ran it by him. They said, "Yeah, sure." I went in there, talked to him, said, "Okay, this is what we're going to do," and you know, it worked out smooth as silk. You know, I remember. Dustin really thanked me. He's like, man, he's like, great work out there, man. He says, true professional you are. He says, I remember you doing the Mantar character. And I said, yeah, thanks, buddy. And I mean, he's like, well, thanks for helping me out, man. I appreciate it. He said, because I literally could do nothing out here. I was like, yeah, it's all good, man. He's like, I hope they uh, decide to, you know, let us work together after this. And I said, well, it would be nice, you know, to get back on TV and, you know, get my face back out there. But again, it never happened. So... It was like, you know, they use you, they do with you what they want to do, and then they fucking forget you. You know, they use you, and then they, once they use you, they put you out the pasture and put a bullet in you. And um, it's kind of what they do, and, you know, they're the best at it. Unfortunately, that's true. I've seen it with a lot of uh, different talents that, 
have done bigger and better things on the independent scene, uh, which is a shame. Or if like it was a talent that they didn't make. Yes. You know? um, I guess, you know, for me, the best prime example of that was when they brought Sting in to the WWE. The way they used him was atrocious, I thought. Um, yeah, because you know, sometimes it just it just makes no fucking sense sometimes what they do. Yeah. And there's just no no rhyme or reason for it. And, you know, if you're trying to put a product on television and you want that product to make money for you, then you should want to make money however that product or individual is going to make money for you. And you should get the extent out of it and the full extent out of it. And and they don't, you know, they just, it's just sometimes like they just really don't give a fuck. It pisses me off. But what can you do? It's not my show. Yeah. Now, throughout your career, what, was there anyone, whether it be ECW, WWF, that you wanted to work with that you didn't get the opportunity to? Um, you know, I was really bummed because, um, when I was doing the Mantar character, uh, Taker came to me one time and he says, Hey, get ready, big boy. He says, I hear they're going to do something between us. And I was like, Oh, really? He's like, yeah. He's like, you know, he said, the word is nobody, nobody wants to work with you around here. He says, but the word I got is something totally different from that. He said, so I'm you know, pretty anxious to work with you. He says, um, he said, it'd be fun. It's going to be easy. And he said, it's going to be a blast. And I was like, wow, man, I'm going to start working with the fucking undertaker. And then that never happened. You know, um, one thing is I'm really glad I had to, got a chance to wrestle Bret Hart. That was one of my favorite matches period in my lifetime was with Bret. Um, but no, no one really that I wanted to work with that I never got a chance to. I just worked with who they told me to work with, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I got one last question here, and then I got uh, just a couple, couple, of, couple of fan mail questions here, here at the uh, WWF fan mailbox. Um, in 2012, there was a show in Sterling, Illinois, and I was listening to – uh, an older show from Jim Cornette in 2021. And he talked about this. Uh, the show was run by promoter Sean David Hubbard. And it was a fan write-in thing. And the fan said that uh, he was there because he was friends with some of the independent talents. And that the promoter of the show didn't promote the show that well. It was a 500 capacity arena says that maybe there were 60 people there. You showed up and he, you were you were advertised and you were advertised as Mantar, um, which the fan says in his writing that you weren't actually even doing that gimmick anymore. And since Sean, the promoter, did not draw a crowd that he thought he would, uh, went back to everybody and said that he couldn't pay the talents uh fan says uh you threatened to get a gun and this and that and actually you know went and got one 
And then there was a second update because Sean had written in, I'm guessing this was done like live. Sean had written in to Jim Cornette, Nat's show and said um, that you said a show you were supposed to go to in Iowa had canceled. So you demanded more money agreed upon 250. He gave you 300 claims. When you got there, you were sniffing something in your car that you, st- <laughs> that you still demanded money. He does say he never saw a gun or heard anything about a gun, but um, the cops had to be called because you threatened his parents and you never actually got to wrestle your match. So what happened here? So I get there, I get there early, like 12 o'clock and, you know, they're in there setting up. There was a couple of guys in the ring working and I'm watching this fucking promoter guy fucking wrestle these two guys in the ring for like an hour and, and trying to tell them what to do. And I'm like, dude, you don't even know what the fuck you're doing. What are you telling somebody to do something? And I can just going through my head. So then, you know, I was there to do a little training session during the day and he, he said, you know, he said, I'll try to get, you know, three or four guys in here. And it was just 50 bucks a piece. It was nothing. So there was like two or three guys there. So I trained them for like an hour. And then they kind of shut everything down until they were open up the doors. And so I just kind of stayed in back. And, you know, Sean said, hey, he says, I want you to do the Mantar character. I says, well, I'm not doing the Mantar character anymore. I'm doing this Turkish character. He says, that's okay. He says, I'll still bill you as Mantar. I was like, okay, man, whatever you want to do. And so I remember getting to the town and I was got to the gas station. I'm like, there's no wrestling posters up. And there was only like, I think one poster up in the place we were working at that I seen. And so I told him, I said, listen, I says, I'm not, I'm not working until, uh, you know, you pay me. And so I remember like half hour before the doors opened, he gave me, he was supposed to pay me four fifty. Um, I did have a show in Iowa the night before and I left that show and came right up to there and that was like an eight hour drive. So, you know, he, he was paying me, I think four fifty. I think was the payoff and, he gave me 250 of it and then he paid me for the training session. So he already given me, you know, 400 bucks and, um, and he was supposed to pay me 450 to wrestle. Um, but 150 that was from the training session. So really only give me 250, but I still had 400 cash in my pocket. And I was like, well, you know, you don't fucking pay me. I'm not, I'm not getting dressed. And so, um, there was a lot of guys on there that wrestled and were getting their payment. They had the inter- intermission and he wasn't paying me. And his parents came up and said, Hey, aren't you going to get dressed? And I was like, who the fuck are you? He's like, I'm his dad. And I was like, well, get the fuck out of my face, man. I don't even know you. You're not, I've, I've never even talked to you. Don't even know who you are. So fuck off. And his dad really started to be a fucking dick. And I was like, listen, I says like father, like son, I says, you're both fucking little two bitches. He says, you all want something, but nobody wants to fucking pay the piper. I said, so both of you can go fuck themselves. You fuck yourselves. I says, you're a piece of shit, just like your son is. He's like, I'm calling the cops. I was like, well, call the cops, motherfucker. I don't care. So I went outside and I smoked the fucking joint. Well, this guy's calling the cops. The cops came. I told him what told the cops what happened. He's like, man, he's like, uh, so you're not going to work? I said, not unless he pays me. So he went to the guy and he says, are you going to pay him? He says, I can't afford to pay him. He's like, okay, then he's going to go. He's like, okay, so send him on his way. So 
the fucking cop fucking escorted me out of the fucking town back on the interstate and home I fucking went. Um, but there was never, ever no gun involved. Um, all the all the guys on the show um, knew I was right. You know, and here come to find out this Sean Hubbard, this guy was had was a full-blown HIV fucking guy. He, he had tested positive for HIV and was still in the ring working with wrestlers and didn't tell anybody that he had HIV and that fucking pissed me off. And so I was coming down him on him about that and calling, you know, calling him a fucking faggot to his fucking parents and, and asking him what kind of kid that they raising and, and stuff. And, and it just got to be, you know, this kid was obviously a mommy and a daddy's boy. And, um, he could do no wrong in their eyes, even though he was a piece of shit and they knew it. Um, but yeah, when I left that show, man, I had everybody support, you know, they were all like team Mantar. It was like, they were getting some team Mantar together and they boycotted the fucking rest of the show. And it was just a fucking disaster, man. But that guy, man, I forgot about that piece of shit a long time ago, but that had to be the only time in my life where I showed up and I got three-fourths of my money, and I never had to fucking work. So, I mean, I basically made an eight-hour trip for nothing, but still got 400 of the $450 I was supposed to get. And so, I mean, I was happy, right? I was, you know, meant, didn't mean no difference to me. I got almost all my money except for 50 bucks, and I'm not going to cry over 50 bucks. And so, you know, it was all good to me. But, yeah, that's, a, that's the first time I fucking heard about that piece of shit's name in a long time, man. Thanks for pulling one out of the archives, brother. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I mean, you can, uh, I guess, really thank Jim Cornette because it was on his podcast in 2021. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, so I, I heard it and uh, it drew drew some interest because everything else I've heard about you seems to be, you know, this was like a, I, I've never heard like a, a story about you like going off the hinges like the story that was told so i was like well i'm kind of curious now so yeah you know i mean i always heard of people horror stories people showing up and never getting paid by the promoter and and up until that point in my career it never happened to me and um you know not only was the good that the guy had full-blown hiv and should have never been in the ring in the afternoon working out with these fucking guys but you know you shouldn't have a fucking show and book all this talent on and and not promote the show and what he did was he went and spent the fucking money he got some money from some settlement and that's what he was going to use to run the wrestling show and he ended up blowing all the fucking settlement money at the casino so he didn't have no money left to pay for the fucking talent and you know i really didn't give a fuck i don't have a gun i don't own a gun um never no gun involved so it's really amazing how stories get told sometimes and how they get remembered. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't sniffing nothing or anything. If anything, I was smoking a fucking joint, man, because I'm all about 420. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I'm, I, I don't even drink fucking alcohol, to tell you the truth. So that's really the only thing I do is smoke weed. So I don't know what the fuck these guys are talking about. Well, all right. Yeah, I was, I was just curious because I heard about it and – uh, the you know m the more Sean had had wrote in or had written to to Cornette, um, 
there were other promoters involved in this and that and sponsors and things like that, that backed out. So like, you know, it seemed like, you know, just trying to put the blame elsewhere, you know, protect his own ass type sort of deal. Yeah. Well, what happened was he got a settlement and was using that settlement to run the wrestling show and decided he wanted to go to the casino and he blew the fucking settlement money. So when it came time to have the wrestling show, he didn't have the balls to call everybody up and cancel the show. He decided he would still run it. Hope he had a good house. Never had a good house because he didn't promote the fucking show. And so it was just a shit show from the start because he blew all the fucking money at the casino. Yeah. You know, um, and, and even in what he wrote, he admitted that he didn't promote it like he had promoted other shows of his. So I guess that's his loss. Um, For sure. I got, I got a couple of uh, fan questions here. Excited to always do this. Um, RN wants to know who your toughest opponent was in each promotion you worked. Wow. Well, I would say my toughest opponent in the CWA was uh, Cannonball Grizzly PN News, my tag team partner. Um. My toughest opponent in New York was probably um, Adam Bomb. And my toughest opponent in ECW was probably 911. Okay. I got a, a, a two question here from uh, Patrick Baker. Uh, first, wants to know was there any upside to being partnered with Jim Cornette? No. Okay. And he would also like to know your original thoughts on the bullhead that you had to wear. <laughs> original thoughts on the bullhead I had to wear. Well, I'm like, if fucking Vince has this much money to, to blow on this fucking bullhead, he should give some of it to me. Um, <laughs> this fucking bullhead was a disaster from the beginning. You know, I had to help them create it. I took like three trips to Chicago, took like four or five trips to New York City. And it was just a fucking shit show from the beginning. And, you know, I had to give them so many ideas on how to make the inner workings of this bullhead. Um, it wasn't even funny. And I just, you know, I hated the fucking thing from the start. So I really didn't give a shit about it. I just tried to make the best out of it. Tried to make chicken salad out of chicken shit, I guess. Right. And uh, the last fan question comes from Alex Todd. In the match with Razor Ramon, uh, did WWF have any plans to put the IC belt on you at any point in the future? Not that I knew of. No, I was just out there, you know, doing my job for the day. That's all. Well, I'd like to thank the fans for those questions. And, yeah, absolutely. Great questions. Um, Mike, I got to ask. Um, Having having talked to you today and, and hearing more about uh, your career and everything, have you ever thought about doing an autobiography? Um, no, but I, I do have uh, the Mighty Mantar documentary coming out the fall of 2023. So I've been working on that for like the last three or four years. And um, I've been working on that with a friend of mine who's a movie director in Omaha, Nebraska. And um, Andrew sent me a message the other day. He said, 
might be finished by July of this year. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, we put a lot of work in, and thought in, into that process. And, you know, that's a no holds barred, you know, documentary. You know, a lot of things, you know, you see people want to sugarcoat things. And I've never been an ass kisser. I've never been a sugarcoater. I've always been uh, right down the middle, tell it like it is kind of guy. And um, so this is a no holds barred, uh, tell the truth, tell all documentary. And I'm, I'm pretty, pretty happy about it. Pretty excited to see it come out. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised on some of the behind the scenes action that goes on. Um, but you definitely, you definitely see Mike Halleck from the younger version to the current version and you see every version in between. So, you know, I hope it answers a lot of questions for these fans out there and hope it tells a lot of these fans something about my life that they never knew. And I hope they learn something about the wrestling industry that they never knew before. So um, I'm really excited for this documentary to come out again. It's called the mighty Mantar and um, been promoted all summer. And, you know, I just got to say, you know, I'm doing this uh, podcast with my tag team partner in crime, uh, PN News, and it's the SOB Sports Network. And you can catch us on YouTube or you can catch us on the Monty and the Farrell platform on YouTube. And don't forget to like, shy, like share, and subscribe because um, um, we could use all the followers we get. We just dropped episode eight, getting ready for episode nine. And we're very excited to be a part of this podcast land and um, we're just happy to uh, be able to entertain our fans still and to give them uh, what they want. That That's awesome. Uh, thank you for coming on the show today. My last question is always this. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about today? Um, no. All right. Um, you know, I always leave it up to the uh, to the lead guy in the podcast to ask the questions. And, you know, I just figured if there was something that you wanted to know, you would ask me. And, and um, you know, you get what you pay for. And I'm all ears. I'm very transparent. I got nothing, nothing to hide. And I'm always willing and open to answer any question as fairly and just as I can. Um, according to what my brain remembers, you know, because we we are in the sport of professional wrestling and we do have this thing called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which means too many fucking concussions. And so sometimes my brain fucks with me. But other than that, I'm of sound mind, body and soul, brother. I just want to know when 420 is going to get here. Well, uh. For, for us here on the East Coast, it's uh, only a few hours away. Yes, it's one, <laughs> 147 and counting, brother. 147 <laughs> and counting. <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll be right with you there on uh, 420. So, Mike, I would love to have you on again. I thank you for coming on today and, and sharing everything that you shared with us. Uh, fans, you can you can find everything and everything we do uh youtube at perched on the top rope podcast apple google spotify stitcher podbean podbay red circle you name it we're there it's perched on the top rope always remember fans spoiler freeze <laughs> <laughs>
the way to be. We're out. Hey everyone, thanks for watching that video. If you liked what you saw, make sure you hit the like button and make sure you hit subscribe so you can get all our content here at Perched on the Top Row. And fans, remember, spoiler freeze, the way to be. I'm out. Mm.